This is the L3 Leadership Podcast, episode number 108. What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 108 of the L3 Leadership Podcast. My name is Doug Smith, and I am the founder of L3 Leadership. We're a leadership development company devoted to helping you become the best leader that you can be. If you want to learn more about what we do, you can check out our website at l3leadership.org. If you're new to the podcast, this podcast is intended to help you grow your leadership skills, and we bring you three separate episodes every single month. One is always from our Leadership Breakfast series, one is from an interview I do with a high-level leader each month, and then you'll also get a personal leadership lesson by me as well. If you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I would really appreciate if you would hop on iTunes and leave a rating and review for us. It really does help us grow our audience organically, so I really appreciate it, so thank you for that, and thank you for those of you who have left reviews. Uh, it really makes a difference and is meaningful for me. Uh, I love the encouragement. It really encourages me to keep going with this. So thank you. This specific episode is coming to our bre- from our breakfast series, and we usually split our breakfast series into two separate episodes. Uh, one is a Q&A session, and one is the actual talk from the breakfast. And this is going to be the Q&A session we had from our last breakfast, and uh, I'll introduce our speakers in one second. But before I do, just want to thank our sponsors, Bab Inc. They are our breakfast hosts, and they have a beautiful building here on the north side of Pittsburgh. And they are an insurance broker and third-party administrator and consulting firm here in Pittsburgh and do incredible work. They have great leadership there, and we're just so grateful to partner with them. And you can check out their work at babbins.com. That's B-A-B-B-I-N-S.com. And I also want to thank our photographers, Pop Invasion. Uh, they just started taking pictures at our events and do phenomenal work. You can check out some of the pictures they've taken on our Facebook page. Um, but they do great work. They do photography. They do videography. They do written content, web development, SEO, pretty much anything you need media-wise, you can get at popinvasion.com. So check them out. Um, they're great friends of ours. So that being said, let's jump right into this talk. We had the privilege of having Lee Kreitcher and Jason Howard uh, come and speak to us, and they are the pastors of of Amplify Church here in Pittsburgh, and they spoke on the subject of living out leadership transitions. And they had a, a great talk, which again, you can listen to in episode number 107 if you'd like to do that. Um, but they are actually in the middle of, uh, of a transition themselves. Lee is ultimately going to be handing off the church to Jason. And so even in the Q&A, they talk a lot about what their relationship looks like, um, what the transition will look like, and how they're actually processing that, and really practical tips for anyone looking to pass the baton to the next generation. So I think you'll find a lot of value in this episode. And so... Uh, I hope you enjoy the talk. If you want the show notes and want to find ways to connect with Lee and Jason, you can go to l3leadership.org forward slash episode 108 and get everything you need there. So let's jump right into the talk and I'll be back with, at the end with a few announcements. How did you work through generational differences and how did you change for the next generation? One thing that helped me is I was in ministry for 13 years. Then for 13 years, I was um, working for two companies, DDI and Linkage. And in both, I was an executive coach, and I was vice president of leadership development for a while with DDI. I worked with so many organizations, and the ones that were most effective were the ones that were constantly looking, how can we change to be more effective to reach our mission? So I had a bias towards being willing to change, plus the church was... It was on its last legs, so we had a great urgency to change. So there wasn't a lot of legacy things that I had that were saying, I do not want to change. That being said, 
I was I was very strongly influenced by the church that my wife and I were our family was a part of in Atlanta, Andy Stanley's church, North Point. And so that was kind of my point of view as far as church leadership. Jason graduated from Hillsong, and I think his point of view was it, I, I love Hillsong and he loves North Point. But there were times that we, he would be saying, well, let's do it this way. Let's consider this. And so I think it was just a matter of saying, if God has brought Jason alongside and I don't listen to him, then shame on me. I'm going to miss out on some things that God is saying. And we've had times where we've had definitely a disagreement on how to implement something or what to do. But... You know, I think his feeling has been, if, if I don't listen to Lee, shame on me. And I've, I've learned to respect <clears throat> young leaders. And if you're an older leader and you know you've got your act together, realize you don't understand young, you don't understand the next generation the way you'd like to. I want to. I love the next generation. But it's just like music. <clears throat> you know, my wife and I, we go to a concert. I mean, we just went to see Peter Cetera. We've gone to see... Um, the Beach Boys and Paul McCartney and others. Well, my daughters don't really go to the concerts that we want to go to. I don't know why. They're crazy. This is the best music imaginable. My high school and college years, that's the music. Well, I don't quite get it. And so, but if we're going to reach people with another generation of music, I have to defer and say, okay, what, what is the next generation all about? I see it in diversity as well. You know, our generation, we've got, we go to diversity conferences to convince each other how wonderful diversity is. Well, the more we raised up young leaders, our church became more diverse just because they don't even talk about diversity. They just live it. I, I love that. I think, I think just to answer your question as well, I think the answer really is honor. Like, he honors my voice a lot and and he is teachable when it comes to what I have to say and that goes both ways and I honor his voice a lot so you know if he says I really think we ought to implement it this way I don't roll my eyes and say he's the old guy you know it's more no he's got something he's got a perspective that carries weight to it and it matters and there are there's a wisdom in him that I don't have yet but he also looks at me with very much, I think, the same perspective and says, there's wisdom in Jason that I don't see. And honoring each other's voice has been huge. We also, when we do disagree on things like that, we've made it a habit over the last you know, number of years or whatever, is that if we disagree on something, we hash it out with each other. We come to a consensus. No one, like we don't broadcast when we're not in alignment. And even to the staff, if we disagree on something, we always come to the staff with a unified voice. We'll sort it out in private and then bring it to everybody else. And that sets a pace for how everybody on our staff works together. And again, it's far from perfect, but it, it is this teachable spirit, which is huge. Without it, if you don't have a teachable spirit, you're, you're, not, you're never going to become who God called you to be. Jason, what gave you the courage to tell Lee that you wanted to plant a church? And then Lee, what enabled you to allow Jason to actually go do it? It's a really good question. Um, I don't like conflict, okay? And I don't like saying things that are going to be hard for people to hear. And he loves conflict. (laughs) 
No, he loves candor. He loves candor, which is very helpful. Um, so, but I have this passion in me that if I believe in something, I can't shut up about it. And I don't know, that's maybe just the way that God wired me. So I probably knew going into it that he wasn't going to be super receptive to that idea. And it was probably a good six months of praying and am I really sure this is in me? And then it was like, I can't hold it in anymore. Um, But I also knew that even if he wasn't receptive to the idea, that I always had permission to speak my heart to him too. Yeah. And remind me of the question that was from my perspective. Um, What about, um, what influenced you to allow Jason to take those risks that you didn't originally feel comfortable with? Yeah, I thought the timing of an added campus, because again, my perspective was the only time you start another campus is when the current campus has every seat filled. Well, we have a huge campus in the the Plum Marysville area, and the idea that we would never do something different until every seat was full would have meant that it's a pretty good long journey. So it was, I think, talking about the whys. And whenever you have a disagreement about the what's, always come back to the why's yeah, that's because crazy. that's what helps you to figure out what the what's are going to be. And the why's were, can we reach more people? And then something that I am totally obsessed with, maybe passionate about is a better word, it's leadership development. I knew he would develop better as a leader if, if he was given freedom to do that um, and start the new campus, and he has, and our church is way stronger for it. How do you deal with fear and inadequacy as a leader? How did I deal with them, or how do I deal with them? Is, <laughs> like, no, I mean, that's an ongoing tension. I think the Bible lays that out, doesn't it? Because what does the Bible call Satan? the accuser of the, the brethren, the accuser of God's people. So we all have this voice in our mind telling us, you're not good enough and you can't really do it. He's telling us all the reasons why we can't. And that's the voice of the enemy, and that is his plan to keep us neutralized. So you will always have to deal with the voice of inadequacy that you're not good enough. i got to be honest with you that, you know, for years, every time I got up on the stage to preach... I felt like, I hope this is good. You know, like this might be terrible. Um, and every time I got off the stage, my first thoughts were, you really blew it. For years. And I had to just combat that with the truth of the word of God. Which is, he wouldn't have given me the stage if he didn't want me to be successful there. And God doesn't take you to a place to fail. He puts you in a place so that you can be strong and successful. And clinging to the word of God and reminding myself the word of God, a really practical tip, I have in my phone a very long list of, I guess call them affirmations. That sounds really formal to me, so I hate that word. But I have this long list of like Bible verses and promises that God has spoken to my life. And I, I say them out loud nearly every day. 
I want to hear myself say the word of God over my life. But if, if you know, you believe that stepping out and doing this business was the right thing for you, then be confident about it. And do you know what? Even if you massively fail, do you know what? God will be there even in the failure to pick you up and to set you on to the next thing that he's got for you. So don't be afraid of it. God wants you to be strong. He wants you to be successful. He wants you to flourish. And he wants you to fulfill everything that he destined you to be. And it's all good. I, I, I would just add to it. Don't don't be afraid. You will, of course you're going to fail, but failing is is way better than not trying. Yeah, that's right. And I remember coming back to the church, and I had many people. I called my mom. And I said, "Hey, I'm going back into ministry," and she said, "Oh no, that's not God's will. You'll be taking a huge pay cut. You're happy where you are. You love Atlanta." She went on and on, and she said, "That is not God's will." And there was a lot of people who were who had that voice. You're going back to a. You're just going to be on the deck of a sinking ship. And you know what? I might have been, but I just had this feeling. Let's see what God's going to do. And I've always had this feeling, and I don't know, I'll find out in heaven probably if it's right or not. Even if I do the wrong thing, if I really believe in my heart that's the right thing that God wants me to do, that he'll be on me out of it. And yeah. I, I had a major failure. I, I would look back and say, um, at one point along the journey, I had been leading the high school ministry, and I had raised up a guy to take over the high school ministry. And I released him into that role and stepped out of it, and it, it, was, it didn't work. It, it blew up. And so I had to make the decision, does that mean I'm never going to raise up another leader? No, I'm going to keep raising up leaders because that's what I'm here to do. And um, I'm going to keep moving forward even in spite of that failure. Lee, when did you know that Jason would be your successor? And how did you know that? And then what, did is, what does it actually look like for him to be your successor? Um, as an independent church, we had gone through, our bylaws were such that each time a pastor would leave, there'd be a search and a congregational vote. And it was this huge upheaval, earthquake every time. And almost everybody who voted no for that incoming pastor just quit the church because obviously they didn't believe that that was the right person to be there. And so coming in, I knew that we had to make some changes. So I just said within my first two years, I'm going to name a successor. The board would approve it. And if something happened to me today, Jason would be the senior pastor tomorrow period. And the congregation knows it. He's got the DNA of the church. He's got the vision. He's got the dream. And he just slides right in. All, they all know him. And so I knew that was an important thing to do. How did I know that Jason was the right guy? Well, I really felt that God was calling me to bring him alongside when I started. And from the very beginning, while we disagreed on some of the what's, the why's, we were so consistent in and everything, you know, for the most part, he stepped up to do so many things that by the time we were probably two or three years in the process and I wanted to actually present someone to the board as my successor, it was clear to me that Jason was the right person. And um, so I, we have a bias in our church that everyone we need is in the house. Yeah. And so, as opposed to this idea that there's... I remember when I was hiring consultants and others in my last jobs, the perfect candidate was always out there somewhere. Boy, I'd look at their resume, I'd say, that's perfect. And I realized, in our church, every leader we've brought alongside has come from inside the church. 
since we had been back together. And, um, and so, again, I wasn't thinking, there's some perfect candidate to take my place someplace out there. And I have pastor friends who are all into search firms and are always looking for external people. And the failure rate of those people being integrated into an organization is way higher than the failure rate that we've seen in our church of leaders who we've raised up from within. So the bias of raising up someone from within and then seeing Jason's potential kind of led to that natural decision. I think as far as the conversation goes, when he first started that conversation, I really didn't see myself in that role. I didn't really feel like my primary gifting was preaching. I felt like I'll preach if I have to, um, but I wanted to do music. And so I really saw, like, I wanted to be a rock star. I didn't want to be a pastor. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> that felt really unnatural to me. And so when he first brought it up to me, I thought, I don't really want to be that. Like, I don't see myself being that. Um, but again, I've always had this bias that you allow leaders to speak into your life because le- God uses leaders to unlock what's inside of you. And so when he'd give me the opportunity to preach, even though I felt like, I don't know if I'm a preacher, I'd step into it because he gave it to me and I trusted that. And so I'd say that that was a bit of a process to get me to the point where I'm like, yeah, I think actually this is part of who I am. You know? And then it wasn't long after that that I'm like, I want to start my own church. You know? So you can see how quickly that happened. <laughs> That's true. One of our things has always been, don't let me be surprised. So I'll turn him loose on things, but I don't want to have, like one time early on with, he decided to have a secular dance with the youth group. This is when our church was still really much more traditional. And so I find out about it from all these people calling saying, we're having a dance. And I said, don't let me be surprised. But you know, just let me know when you're going to do something crazy <laughs> ahead of time. So it's it's easier to have your back when I'm not surprised. <laughs> what will your relationship and your lives look like after the actual transition and handoff? <laughs> that's um that's a really hard question to answer, I think, because you are looking into the into the future a little bit. But here's the thing that's always been true is that we've been committed to each other. And I think that ultimately we're committed to the relationship just as much as we're committed to the church. And so our commitment to each other won't ever change. And so exactly how everything is going to look, I don't really know. And exactly how everything looks today, we probably wouldn't have foreseen five years ago. But, um, but I think that this, the thing that has remained true is that we've remained committed to each other. We um, you know, remain committed to respecting and valuing each other's input. And... You know, I um, I don't want to be the guy that says, hey, Lee, I'm ready. Get out of here now. And I don't even want to be the guy to say, here's my timeline. You know, here's when I want it to happen. I don't want to be that guy because I don't want to cut short what God has called Lee to do. And, and on this end of succession management, I do feel like I have the power to do that to a certain degree. Because if I went to Lee or the board and said, guys, I think it needs to be six months from now. I would be, in, in a sense, um, 
in, in a sense, uh, there'd be a bit of blackmail almost in that because what are they going to do, you know? And so I understand that that would put us in a difficult situation. So I don't want to be that guy. And I want to make sure that Lee lives out everything that God has for him. I want to make sure that Lee is true to every ounce of potential that God's placed inside of him. And I think that if we keep that kind of heart towards each other, that we'll be able to navigate whatever the specifics are. Yeah, if we have, in, in general... In five years from now, Jason will be 40, I'll be 67. And I think that by that point, I will have switched from a role of senior pastor to founding pastor, but probably will be involved with the church for the rest of my life. Um, but the day-to-day operations will be more in Jason's hands. Um, to a great degree, that transition continues to happen. He speaks more often. And with the book release, all of a sudden, the story of our church reversing our decline when over 80% of churches in America are in decline is very compelling and all of a sudden I'm being asked to speak um, in fact it's funny in September no in October going in within one month time frame this fall I'll be speaking to a group of um, Pentecostal pastors and then a group of Catholic priests and then two week later, two weeks later, a group of Baptist pastors, all about revitalization within their churches, because the idea of connecting or reconnecting the next generation is extremely compelling. So I see my role in this next season of life as not just serving as senior pastor and mentoring Jason, but also inspiring other churches to do the kind of mentoring that we're doing. And I think God's really going to has uniquely gifted me for that. So I'm I'm not hanging on to say, oh, I, I really think God is opening up other doors. And it's not exactly like I wouldn't compare it to John the Baptist who said, I will decrease and he'll increase. But in a way, that's naturally what's going to be happening. It won't be like all of a sudden we go from point A to point B and it's a huge drama. I see it more like David with Solomon, maybe. David knew he wasn't going to build a temple. But he made sure everything was ready so Solomon would be set up for success. And that's really what, um, what I see my goal as being in this next season, as well as influencing churches beyond ours in a very, hopefully, a very profound way. How do you find spiritual mentors? I think that um, look at the people who God's already put in your life. And I think that God has a way of putting you exactly where you're supposed to be when you're supposed to be there. Unless you've got something in your heart that's just completely resistant to him or selfish or something, you know? I think God puts you where you're meant to be. And who, who do you have access to in your life right now? Um, who at your church do you have access to that maybe is someone who you'd like to have speak into your life? Um, Maybe you don't even know them, but ask them out for a coffee, and maybe you think they're totally crazy by the end of that, and then you'll keep looking. Or maybe they'll be like, oh, this person could really speak into my life. Um, I think that you're looking for someone who's a bit further along in the journey than you. I think that you're looking for somebody <clears throat> who reminds you of Jesus. But again, it's like that perfect job applicant who's out there somewhere. The perfect mentor doesn't, doesn't exist. So these are all flawed people. But there's somebody, the key is, is there someone who, if I'm connected to, can take me from where I am to where God wants me to be in an accelerated fashion? That's really what it's about. Jason, you've been loyal to Lee's vision for over 13 years. 
And Lee, you started your church when you were in your 20s. How do you know as a leader when you should be loyal and faithful to another leader's vision versus actually jumping out on the vision of your own? Yeah, that's a good question because I'm I'm not saying that it's never God's will for people to start new churches, but I do believe that when people stay together, there's a lot more power and strength in that. And I think that my idea would be that the American church as a whole would probably be stronger if we didn't leave and start new things every time we disagreed with each other. So I think that if we could stay together on the same page and be committed to each other, we would be a lot stronger as a whole. Um, I came from a background at Hillsong where they're fiercely loyal to each other. And that doesn't mean that leaders haven't gone off and started new things, but for the most part, people stay loyal to the house. And within that house, they've been able to start new things. And collectively, they have more global influence than probably any other ministry on the earth today because of that, because they've stayed together. Um, So I'm not saying it's never God's will for you to step out. But the thing, to be honest with you, I didn't know Lee very well. Um, in 2003 when he called me up and asked me. I didn't know much about him. I didn't know much about what he had done as a leadership coach or whatever else. I had been in Australia and we were just disconnected. But the thing that brought us... Even though he is my wife's nephew. Yeah, we are related. We are related. So that makes it sound like we were strangers. We weren't strangers. I'm not related. You're my wife's nephew unless you do something really good. Then I'm his nephew. (laughs) (laughs) We were not connected. The, the only advice I had ever given him was... Don't go to Hillside. The thing that... <laughs> no, the, the reason why I was loyal, though, was because of the why. And the why that he was articulating at that time was, there are people who don't know Jesus and we need to build a church that's going to engage with them. And that was like, that's what I'm called to do. Like, that's who I am. And I had um, this, um, I didn't have much context in Pittsburgh for seeing many other churches that had that sort of perspective. Not saying they weren't out there. I just didn't have, I, I didn't see that very much. And so for him to come in and say, we're going to build a church that people who don't go to church love, I said, that's why I live. Like, that's, that's who I am. And so it was really loyalty to the vision, um, and then in turn loyalty to him as the leader of that vision. Yeah, and, we, and it was clear, like some of the board members who had invited me back to candidate for this church, they said, oh, well, when you come back, the people who used to go to your church will come back. I said, none of them will come back. They all are happily in other churches and they're serving God there. And the church that we're going to create now is so radically different than it was in the 80s that if they come back, they're going to be disappointed if they're thinking they're coming back to the way it used to be. And so, you know, I said right away, we are not here to keep the people who are still here. That's the problem. The church has been trying to keep the people who are still here happy, and they're all just dying every year. More and more people are dying and getting older every year. We will be here to reach people who are unreached. And the vast majority of our growth has come from people who were either far from God or disconnected from church or hadn't been in any church for a long period of time. And so that's what you resonated with versus let's try to do church a little better than some of the other churches so that some of their members start to come here. And even though some of that naturally happens, that's never been where our heart is. And 
that was a pretty powerful connection, I think. Yeah, that's the unity. And so I think in you know in your context, maybe not talking about church or ministry, you're talking about a company or something. Can you be loyal to the vision of that company and to the DNA and the heartbeat of that company? And if you're loyal to that, then I think that the, the rest answers itself. And I've grown to admire um, Hillsong as a ministry to a great degree. And part of it is because of that um, loyalty that they have towards one another. And one reason why I'm not afraid of how our lives are going to roll out. I always tell Jason, the way that Brian Houston would be treated by you know, Hillsong, always treat me with that kind of heart, we'll be in great shape. <laughs> yeah, that's the unity. And so I think in, you know, in your context, maybe you're not talking about church or ministry, but you're talking about a company or something, can you be loyal to the vision of that company and to the DNA and the heartbeat of that company? And if you're loyal to that, then I think that the, the rest answers itself. Leah, I'd heard that when you came to the church, you actually gave a sermon to the church of 10, that was called 10 Reasons You Shouldn't Hire Me as Your Senior Pastor. Why did you do that, and what did you actually do uh, to turn the church around and help them change? Well, I was regional vice president for a company called Linkage in Atlanta, and when, they, when I was called to say, would you come back into ministry, I said no. I said, I'll pray for you, but I'm not coming. I, so I kept getting calls. I, they finally said, would you pray about it? And I said, no, I don't want to pray about it. And they said, well, you used to be a pastor. The least you can do is pray about it. And so I said, okay, I'll pray about it. And I prayed, and I got as far as to think I need to at least go up and tell the church what would happen if they had me in this pastor. And so the guy who had called me, who is you know, a great friend, um, he said, you can't tell them what you're going to do. I said, oh, I will tell them what I'm going to do. Because if they vote no, I'll sleep peacefully living in Atlanta with my current job for the rest of my life. But I'll, if I say no, I won't even give it a shot. I'll always have this feeling when the church, goes, the church was ready to die. When the church dies, you didn't try to do something about it. So I actually went in and said, here's all the things that are going to change. It starts with the name. The name of this church changes the moment you vote yes for me. And if you like the name of the church, vote no. And I had like 10 reasons to vote no, like a David Letterman list. Um, and I actually felt if they voted no, I'd be very happy. <laughs> and if they voted yes, then we'll roll up our sleeves and we're going to change the world you know, for Christ with God's help. But it was at least two years after I came back that I thought, did I do the right thing? At least, to, I mean, it was it was, really it was a, a miserable couple of years, and a third of the people who were in the church left for other churches that were more like the way the church had been. I mean, they were there because they liked it. it so, it but many others started to come and. A lot of those things on the list, though, were like, if you like the style of music, you should vote no. Like, if you, you know, if you like to get dressed up for church, vote no. Yeah, if you want to ribbon dance down the aisles, you should, because that was something that No, I said if you like individual expressions of worship, because that's kind of where the church had gone. And I said, look, you will join in without standing out. The moment you start to attract people's attention instead of the words or what's going on. So there were a lot of things like that that were just built into the culture. I said, if you like that, vote no. Yeah. What can we do to serve you guys and serve your church and pray for you? I think, um, man, I think that the thing that we really want the most is just for more people to know Jesus. So if you're going to pray for us, pray that more people fall in love with Jesus. And um, pray that we 
are an accurate representation of his heart to the world. That's what I want. Yeah, and if you know people who maybe wouldn't be comfortable in a more traditional church, tell them to try one of our campuses. Uh, if you know a church that is kind of stuck in a rut, or maybe they're aging or fading, get a copy of For a New Generation because it will break their paradigm. It'll, it, it's kind of a shock and awe kind of thing of all the things we change as a church that it's not you'll be changing the same things but if you're not willing to change you're perfectly designed for the people you're reaching now as a church the idea that you'll reach people that somehow they're going to just start coming with you doing the exact same things you're doing now it's not going to happen so um, get that word out that way um, we're doing something with Willow Creek their leadership conference yeah. um, the Global Leadership Summit at all our campuses at the beginning of August. So if you're into leadership development, just go to our website and you can see what we're doing there and recommend that will be a great, great thing. Amplify Church. Hey everyone, thank you so much for listening to Lee and Jason's question and answer session. I really hope it added value to your life. And again, if you'd like to connect with Lee or Jason and find out what they're doing, you can go to the show notes at l3leadership.org forward slash episode 108. And if you enjoyed the Q&A session and have not listened to their talk on transition, you can go to uh, episode number 107 in the podcast and listen to that as well. I want to thank our other sponsor, 068, uh, who actually is an amazing organization that starts companies with ex-convicts, and you can watch stories of men who have done that and women, and uh, just what they're doing at 068.org. They're doing some great work, and we love, love, love partnering with them. So again, if you really enjoyed the podcast, I would appreciate if you would hop on iTunes, leave a rating and review. It helps us spread the word. And if you want to see what upcoming events we have coming up, and just stay in touch with everything we're doing here at L3, you can sign up for our email list and check out our website at l3leadership.org. And you'll also get a free copy of my ebook, Making the Most of Mentoring, uh, which is a book I wrote, which is my step-by-step process for getting meetings with leaders. So as always, I like to end with a quote. And uh, being that Jason is from Hillsong, I like to quote Brian Houston, or one to Hillsong. Um, Brian Houston's the founding pastor there. And just such a simple quote he shared, but I loved it. He just simply said, leadership begins at home. And I think that's something that as leaders, we all need to remember. If we're not great at leading at home, we won't be great at leading anywhere else. So thanks again for listening and being a part of L3 Leadership. My wife, Laura, and I appreciate you so much, and we're looking forward to being with you next episode. See you then. Thank you.